Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Caleb Kingsley. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Alrighty. Uh, today we get the chance to jump into some really beautiful passages and I'm so excited about what God's going to do today. Uh, for those of you who've never uh, been to Providence, my name is Caleb Kinsley, and I get the chance to uh, share God's word today. Um, and so let's just jump in with a quick word of prayer. Father, we know that you are speaking. We know that you've never stopped speaking. And so we ask that you would give words to our hearts right now, give peace to our hearts through who you are. We just ask that you bless us, that you keep us, and that you continue uh, to encourage us. So we love you, Lord. We bless you, and we pray. Amen. John 10, 1 through 5, says that Jesus said to the Pharisees, listen to this eternal truth. The person who sneaks over the wall to enter into the sheep pen rather than coming through the gate reveals himself as a thief coming to steal. But the true shepherd walks right up to the gate And because the gatekeeper knows who he is, he opens the gate to let him in. And the sheep recognize the voice of the true shepherd. For he calls his own by name and leads them out, for they belong to him. And when he has brought out all his sheep, he walks ahead of them and they will follow him, for they are familiar with his voice. But they will run away from strangers and never follow them because they know it's the voice of a stranger. John 10 continues on in 14 through 16 says, I alone am the good shepherd, and I know those whose hearts are mine, for they recognize me and know me, just as my father knows my heart, and I know my father's heart. I am ready to give my life for the sheep, and I have, done, and I have other sheep that I will gather, which are not of this Jewish flock, and I, their shepherd, must lead them too. And they will follow me and listen to my voice, and I will join them all into one flock with one shepherd." Jesus has been speaking since the beginning of time. He has been speaking from Genesis 1 into the book of Revelation and beyond. And and here's the deal. I mean, like, I get it. There are different denominational uh, backgrounds that have fought over the idea of God speaking today. And it's become so divisive. And yet Scripture, all throughout Scripture is filled with people who are experiencing the voice of God in their life. Times are actually dictated in Scripture based upon when God did speak and when he stopped speaking for a season and then when he spoke again. But just because he wasn't speaking doesn't mean that he wasn't close. Just because he wasn't uh, speaking through prophets didn't mean that he, his heart wasn't for us. And so, I mean, Genesis 1, God s- speaks, let there be light, boom, there's light. Like, how powerful is that? He has the ability to create where there's nothing, and then his voice causes things to come into motion. That's the God we serve. That's that's the the scriptures that we live in, that we study, that 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 we live by. And then Jesus comes and adds to it and says, guess what? Those who I call know me. Those that I call follow me. And there's so many voices vying for our attention these days. So many voices wishing that they had access to our hearts. 
And yet Jesus is the only one that can really bring about life change. And so before we get any further, I do want us to, to realize that God does speak through Scripture. The Word of God is, a, is the, the physical book that we have, but, and yet the Word of God is Jesus. And so from Genesis 1, the Word was with God, you know, from John 3.16 and then from Genesis 1, like, he spoke, boom, manifest is the miracles of God through the spoken word of God. And so there are times in Scripture where um, in Acts when the disciples are, are speaking or are praying and taking time for the word, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a printed out NIV that they were flipping through or an NASB or a Holman or a, a Passion Translation. They didn't have a, a bedside Bible there were scrolls in the tabernacle that they would have to go and have somebody read to them, and then they would go back and talk about the precepts of God. And so a lot of times we read Scripture and we, we see the Word of God says, and we go, yes, the Bible says. No, God's Word says because it comes from His heart. Now, He speaks through Scripture. But the Bible, the Scriptures that we read are people experiencing the voice of God in their life, and that's what changed them, not a Bible verse. And so before we get into the book of Acts, I want us to jump to 1 Samuel 3 real quick. And this is going to be kind of a precursor for what I believe happens to Saul on the road to Damascus. In 1 Samuel 3, 7 through 10 in the New American Standard Bible says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And for those of you who have read this story before, this is, like it says, this is the third time Samuel has been uh, woken up from his sleep by a voice calling him, and it is the Lord, but he keeps going to Eli. How many times do we do this? God is speaking to our hearts, and we go, hey, what was that? What did you say? Was that my wife? Was that my kids? Who said that? And we kind of, we live in this world where we only look for the tangible. We only look for the physical. And yet sometimes it's God speaking to our hearts. And so then after Samuel says, here I am, for you have called me, then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. Even, even the priest missed it. Now he's half asleep. It's in the middle of the night. He's missed it, but even he's like, I didn't call you, I didn't call you, I didn't, oh wait, what if it's God? And I think it's funny that the boy was sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant, and he's hearing the voice of God. Where are you posturing yourself? Where are you posturing yourself in this season? Because if you're posturing yourself next to God, expect God to speak, expect God to move, expect God to, to connect with you and want to connect with you, and yet... So many times we posture ourselves next to people hoping that they'll give us a word. Now, can they give us a word? Absolutely. Because God will either speak through them or they will sense something on our lives and they can speak to us. But if we're waiting for the next person to speak to us, we might lose sleep and run to Eli when all we had to do is just say, Lord, what's going on? And so then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy and Eli said to Samuel, and I want you to get this because this is where we're going from, go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Hold on. 
the Lord not only is calling Samuel, he has now walked into the place where Samuel is resting and he is standing in a place to have a conversation with Samuel. He stood there. That blows my mind. He says, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. God knows how to get our attention. And I believe that this principle from the Old Testament was something that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and everybody would have known in the context of Acts 9. And so I want us to go there. But already we have Jesus talking to us. We have God talking to us. And I can tell you, the whole book of Acts has God speaking. And so many of us think, oh no, it stopped after the book of Revelation. Well, the written word stopped. And so the Bible gives us the nature of God inside of the written word of God to help us learn how to hear from God. Because if we read scripture without his voice, we're missing it. We're reading some good words and it's penetrated our minds, but our hearts are still so angry. And this is what happens with, with Saul. And so we're going to jump into Acts 9. We're going to kind of break these up into a few different sections. But I want to reiterate that, yes, God spoke before Christ came. He spoke when Christ came in Luke 3. This is my son in who I'm well pleased. He spoke on the mountain of transfiguration. This is my son. Listen to him. Do what he says to do. Jesus speaks to his disciples even after the resurrection in Acts 1. And then there's countless times in the New Testament where resurrected and ascended Christ and God and the Holy Spirit speak to man. And so let's go there. Acts 9, 1 through 3. During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priest and requested a letter of authorization so he could take, the, so he could take it to the Jewish leaders in, in Damascus, requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting any who are the followers of the way. Saul wanted to capture all of the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. We could sit in this section of Scripture all day, probably all month, and we would find so much for our hearts to, to, to grow in. And there's three things that I saw, and I'm not trying to give a three-point sermon, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just not uh, necessarily my style. But I found three things here that are concerning for the church in this day. Number one is the motivation for authorization. Saul was full of angry threats and rage, wanting to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. This guy has studied. He has spent time under rabbis. His whole job, his whole position, everything he does has been wrapped up in the precepts of God, and yet he has no idea what it is that he's reading. He has no concept of the things that he's reading. I can only say that because... If he's a Pharisee and he's looking to murder people, what is one of the Ten Commandments? So already we've got this guy 
who is a religious elite, a religious leader, who's breathing angry threats and rage in order to finalize the desire he has to commit murder. Are you, like, does anybody else see this? Like, he's already breaking his belief in order to do what he wants to do. Like, he's preaching the Ten Commandments. He's preaching, follow God, listen to the law, follow the law. The law states, don't murder. And yet he's going to murder people in Damascus. He's already been doing it. He was at the murder of Stephen when Stephen gives the most beautiful sermon ever. And then people are throwing their coats at Saul's feet as they pick up stones to go kill him. And he's smiling. The bloodlust has begun. And he's saying, you know what? This is the healthiest thing we could possibly do in order to save the law. Let's break it. But we kind of do that on social media, don't we? The Babylon Bee puts up something about a pastor like Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick or Bill Johnson. And we immediately run to murdering their reputation, murdering their name, murdering their ministry. And yet it's all in the name of following the scriptures, following the law. Are we breaking the very thing we believe in order just to get away with what we want? So that's the motivation for authorization, the cooperation of authorization. And this is where it gets really messy because he didn't just go do this by himself. This wasn't a rogue act of religious, um, you know, religious freedom or religious, you know, uh, I can't even think of the word I'm thinking of, but that's okay. Whatever it is that he's doing, he looked for cooperation from his leaders in Jerusalem. And so he goes to these, to these religious elite and says, hey, I want the ability, the authorization to go do this. And they agreed with him. Who are the people that you go to when you're not getting your way in order to go get the answer you want so you can do what it is that you wish you could do? Because a lot of times we get into these places where all of a sudden authority starts to question us or maybe somebody under our authority starts to question us and we immediately go to the friends that are going to bash what that person did. So let's take you know, some of the mainstream uh, pastors of this day. We know if someone posts something about a, you know, let's go with you know, uh, something from Bethel. One of their pastors posts something. Everyone who doesn't like that church is going to run to the people that they know don't like that church in order to, like, stir up this cooperation of murder to take them down. Same thing with Providence, same thing with any church that we don't like based on our belief system. But if our belief system leaves room for us to murder somebody else, what is it that we're believing? Christ said, lay down your life for your brother. Pick up your cross not hang them on the cross. And so what is it that we're doing? When we look for people to cooperate with us, we actually know where to find those who would partner with our murderous schemes. Who are you partnering yourself with? Are you going to the right people? Because here's the deal. If you're not going to God first with your frustration, you could end up oozing out murderous threats without even knowing it. And the people that trust you and that you trust will all of a sudden begin to get into this, this, this like riled up state where all of a sudden the only thing that makes sense is the pain. The only thing that makes sense is what's wrong. But have we ever asked ourselves, am I wrong? 
And that brings us back to the last, you know, little thing of three, the position of authorization. Are we more consumed with gaining our position and or maybe even our right to lead that we've abandoned our posture with God? Because I'm telling you, if Saul had this intimacy with God that hadn't become so cerebral that it disconnected from his heart, but he really was in this position where as he read scriptures, as he was in the tabernacle, as he was seeing this movement, why didn't he run to God first? Because here's the deal. It never says that they sacrificed a lamb in order to ask God what, what they should do. They didn't pray about it. They didn't like take seven days to fast and pray. They didn't do any of the things that they probably should have done. And yet, all he wanted was position to do what he wanted to do. How often do we do that? Man, if I had the stage, if I could preach, if I could lead worship, if I could have that YouTube channel, if I could have, you know, the most streams of any other artist, whatever it is, man, if I could at least position myself, would I be willing to murder to get there? Would I be willing to do whatever it is that everybody's angry with? Will I join that? Or will I take the time to back up and say, God, what are you saying? Even when it feels as if it's going against the very precepts of what God's word has said, am I willing to allow the word to penetrate my heart so that I can actually walk in the understanding of what God is doing now? I think so many of us live in this tension of we look for what we want, and until you agree with me, you're wrong. It's such a dangerous place, and I'm so like, I'm so heavy, because I've done this. I've led, you know, little spiritual coups in my own mind and try to stir up things that went against the people that I was following, but that wasn't Christ. That's not Christ's likeness. Like, his likeness is so much different than that. And so I want us to jump into to verse 3 and continue. Just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly, suddenly exploded all around him, Saul. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice but could see no one. So Saul replied, who are you, Lord? I'm going to pause there real quick. Do you see the correlation between 1 Samuel 3 and Acts 9, 3, or maybe 4 at this point? For so long, we've taken it as like the angry, and he probably was pretty angry. He had murderous threats. We have anger. I get it. But we take the angry Pharisee of Saul and make him indifferent to Christ. I think that, I, I saw something this weekend for the first time ever. I think that the, the, the written word that Saul had been studying his whole life primed him for an encounter with Jesus. It primed him for an encounter with a revival of a personal spiritual nature that he did not get just from reading it, but he got it from hearing the voice because he didn't have to call him four times. One voice comes out of heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I think that Saul, Saul resonated something inside of Saul's heart, and instantly he went back to what did Eli tell Samuel to do, and what did God say? Samuel, Samuel, Saul, Saul. I think right then, in that moment, Saul had an encounter with Jesus that he could not explain, and yet the encounter with Jesus shook him to his core. 
because he didn't say, hey, uh, uh, Brian, was that you? I can't see anything. Hey, Phil, was that you? Jake, was that you? Nathan, was that you? He doesn't say that. He immediately goes to Lord. Now, maybe, you know, Luke didn't get all the names, but I'm telling you, this is the scripture that we have. Saul's response proves that one word from Christ can change me. And so Jesus goes on and says, I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Now, get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. Saul stood to his feet, and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind. So the men had to take him by hand and lead him into Damascus. For three days he didn't eat or drink, and he couldn't see a thing. I think it's incredible how this one chapter lays out how the voice of God works in our lives. So many of us, we love our tasks. And so I need you to tell me what you need me to get done and then I'm gonna go do it without you. And then I'll come back and report my findings hoping that, you know, we, we got the job done. Christ doesn't work like that. What did he just do? Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. When we are learning, cultivating, honing, practicing the voice of God in our lives, we have to trust that he does not say a sentence and that's the fullness. Every, every time God speaks in scripture, it's a conversation. Moses at the burning bush. Imagine it. A bush is on fire. Hey, come here. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. A bush on fire, not being consumed, is talking to me. a voice coming from heaven after I just got blinded. I wonder if in that moment that was the glory of God because the, the throne of God has thunder emanating from it, lightning coming from it. I wonder if like God pulled back the veil for a moment for the light of who he is to blind Saul. And then in that, now that they have him captive and captivated, God can speak and Saul can finally hear. When Jesus talks to your heart, he's going to constantly create opportunities for more and more relationship so that you can have more and more revelation of who he is. And I'm not adding to scripture. I'm not saying we're going to write new books to add to the Bible. I'm saying revelation, understanding, under, like a new belief of who he is based on the nature that we see in scripture. And it's not always the big booming voice from heaven like Saul actually experienced. Sometimes it's the quiet, still voice, like uh, what the, the prophet of old experienced, that it wasn't in the fire, it wasn't in the earthquake, it wasn't in the storm, it was, it was in the whisper. So many of us are longing for an encounter with God, but we keep going to a book instead of going to him. And we don't know how to stay silent long enough in order to actually hear him because we keep picking up the phone and saying, hey, God, I got problems. And we hang up and we walk away hoping he'll go fix it. But that's not his nature. His nature is to say, hey, how are you? Are you okay? What's going on inside of you? Let's talk. Maybe there's something inside of you that you keep going to as a source, whether it's your pride, whether it's your anger, whether it's your sadness, whether it's your control, whatever it is inside of you, you keep going to, that's not satisfying you. Can we go there? And then there's a relationship to continue easing those things off, healing the broken places, and then bringing us into newness of life. 
That's, that's Christ's whole plan. He didn't speak to Saul to smoke him. He spoke to Saul because, and we're going to find out later, in order to release him into ministry. And here's the fun part. So many of us think that we do have to get rid of the things that are blocking us from God before he speaks to us. Saul was filled with angry threats, with rage and murder, and Jesus spoke to him. He was living what so many would deem a sinful life. Sin does not stop the Father from speaking to you. Because guess what? He had already murdered, was on the way to murder. Moses had already murdered in Egypt, thinking that's how he was going to free the people. And God was like, no, 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 no. Let's go become a shepherd for a while. We don't kill the sheep to save the sheep. We lead the sheep to save them. And so there's a blinding light, and it had nothing to do with good old Saul going on a missions trip to Uganda to save the little children. It had everything to do with God got involved at a point where Saul was probably beyond himself. Three days of no food, three days of no water, three days of no sight, everything that is even essential to feeling somewhat at peace was ripped from him. And I think it's a miracle he lasted three days. Three days without water, impossible. Maybe he was at like the very edge of it that, that he gets fed and he gets restored. But for three days with no water, that's in pain. Food, you can go 40 days longer than that. But without water, you've got three days as a life expectancy. And so it's a miracle that he even is still alive at this point. But I want us to catch this before we move on to Ananias' story. Jesus gives him step-by-step instruction to let him know that he doesn't tell him, hey, go perform for me and then come back when you're better. He says, actually, I'm going to walk with you every step of the way so that as you are learning to hear my voice and live my voice, I would actually be there with you to experience it. Christ never tells us, come back to me. He says, let me come with you. And so we have Saul a religious leader, positioned to do whatever he wants, and yet having access to read the scrolls never had a heart that changed. He got authorization, but he got the wrong authorization. Like God's authority is completely different than man's authority, and God's authority is not cheap, and it isn't easy, but it is accessible when we put him first, when we actually have the ability to listen to what he's saying, like 1 Corinthians 2 says, who can understand the mind of a man but the spirit of a man? How much more can we understand the mind of God because now we have the spirit of Christ dwelling within us? And so we go on in Acts 9, uh, verse 10. Living in Damascus was a believer named Ananias. This is not the same Ananias and Sapphira who get smoked. This is a different one. So the Lord spoke to him in a vision and calling out his name, he said, And I'm adding the whisper. might not be a whisper, but I'm fine with it. And he says, yes, Lord. So hold on, let's pause. He's not a religious leader, because we know, because he's a Christian following the way, and he's in Damascus. Maybe he was a Christian leader, or a religious leader in the Jewish sect, and he abandoned it. But based on what I know about Ananias, we don't even know that. So that's me guessing at this point. So Ananias, not being a religious leader, probably never having access to 1 Samuel 3, 
never having access to any of the things, is hiding out in his house. God speaks his name once, and immediately his answer is, yes, Lord. We go from religious leader Saul having all of the words of God written, still doesn't have it in his heart. We have a man named Ananias hiding out in his house, possibly quarantined. Can we acknowledge that? He's hiding out. We're actually going to find this out in a second. He's hiding out because he knows Saul is coming to kill people like him, and he's in hiding. And so if he's in hiding, he's fearful. He's not like, he's, he might be praying, but he's not praying, oh God, you are good. He's praying, God, please save my bacon. And God still speaks to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord. And the Lord said, go at once to the street called Abundance, or in other translations, the street called Straight, and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw in a supernatural vision a man named Ananias coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. Right here, we just found out that Christ is continuing to speak to Saul, even though he's speaking to Ananias at the same time. He's already told Saul, once he got into Damascus, how to get to Judah's house, and he waited there. If God tells you something, if he begins to whisper, he will not give you the end destination until you start taking the first step. And then all of a sudden, you take the first step, and he tells you what the second step is. And then he tells you what the third step is, and we keep going. And so Saul at least was obedient to the point that he got into Damascus, and then he's thinking, okay, nothing's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, the voice says, turn right. And he probably goes right and turn left, and he turns left, and all of a sudden, he gets to this house, and he's on this street called Straight or Abundance. And the door opens up, and he's at this guy named Judah's house. And then he has a vision of a man named Ananias coming to lay hands on him to restore him. So there's two people here, the person who needs to get prayed for and the person who's going to do the praying. If God puts it on your heart to go pray for someone at Walmart, I'm telling you right now, that's not like bad leftover pizza in your belly making you see things that aren't real. Now, if God calls me to go eat a burger, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, but that's probably me. But if he says, hey, you see that person over there? They're experiencing an immense amount of pain in their lower back. Can you go pray for them? That's not me. That's the voice of God. What do I say, God? He's like, I, I didn't tell you what to say. I said, go over there and pray for that person. I get up to that person. Hey, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Hey, is your back okay? Oh, actually, how did you, what? What? And then all of a sudden, walls start breaking down. God starts giving me revelation. And all of a sudden, I can begin to pray. And that person gets healed all from saying yes to the step. Are you willing to say yes to the step? Are you willing to say yes to the voice of God in your life? Because Saul, who's having a radical encounter with Jesus, is following him step for step. He didn't abandon, he didn't say, hey friends, take me back home. And Ananias is now at the point where God is inviting him into the process. If God speaks into your heart, go pray for someone. I'm telling you, he's already worked on their heart to receive it. But Lord, Ananias said, Many have told me about this terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. Let's just pause for a second. Ananias has the guts to say, hey, God, I love the idea, but no. Some people would take that as immaturity. I'm going to tell you right now, there is such a high level of intimacy in Ananias' life with God that he has the ability to have like a conversation 
He has the ability to say, hey, I like the idea, but, I'm, but have you heard what's going on? That's not immaturity. Immaturity would be going, oh, you want me to go there? Hey, guess what God just told me to go do? No, no, no. He keeps in step with God and says, okay, God, but, but have you heard this? And God, the Lord Yahweh answered him, arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. Other translations say my instrument. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people in order to give them the revelation of who I am. And I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. So Ananias leaves. He goes to the house. He probably knows who Judah is. He goes to the house. He walks in. He lays hands on Saul. He prays for him. And, you know, the substance falls from his eyes. Some say that the scales fell from his eyes and he could see again. Immediately he got up and was baptized. And after eating a meal, his strength returned. The voice of God has to be the measuring stick of what our lives in the kingdom mean. Because if somebody else's name, report, book, uh, sermon, any of that can dictate what my life means for the kingdom, I am built upon the ideas and the thoughts and the precepts of other people. But if my life is built on what God is saying, then I will find myself going to the people accusing me in order to murder me, I will go up to them and be able to minister to them and we will both be redeemed. Because Ananias had to go by himself in a time where Christians were getting killed. He had to go out when a virus was out. Now, please do not hear me say revolt against what the government is saying and go out and do whatever you want. But if God is saying there's an, there's an opportunity for you to minister to someone, to take them food and leave it on their doorstep, to uh, send them a letter, give them a phone call, whatever it is, whatever God is stirring, do it. Because the other person on the other side is longing for the response and the promise that God made to become true so that they know that God is who he says he is. The Lord Yahweh answered him, go. I'm gonna set him before kings, all that stuff. And so real quick, I know... Uh, we're getting to the end right here. But I really need us to understand that there are two different callings in this scenario with two different anointings, with two different vessels. The easiest way I can explain it is that a plate is made to hold a steak. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for steak. And a cup is made to hold a liquid. Now, could the plate hold a liquid? Yes. But just based on the surface area of the lip of that plate, if I were to drink it normally, I would, it, Coke would go all over my face, all over my shirt. It would spill everywhere and I wouldn't enjoy any of it. Could I get a straw? Could I find ways to make it work and to drink it slowly and lap it up, do whatever? Yes. But that's not the point. The plate was made for food, such as steak or pizza or whatever it is. And clearly I'm hungry because I'm using all my food analogies. But the plate can do some things, but it was never made to hold liquids. A bowl can and a cup can. Now, could the cup hold the steak? It could. Could I get a knife in there and a fork and try to figure out how to cut it and eat it or maybe just like hold it and kind of rip it with my teeth? Yes, I could, but that's not what the cup was made for. The cup was made to hold the liquid. The plate was for the steak. And so I want us to look at this. Ananias is the cup. Saul is the plate, 
And there's a real opportunity here for us to get it twisted and to wish for somebody else's calling when we as a vessel were only made for something else. Ananias, this is the only thing we hear about him. The only thing. And yet, what we can understand from him is that when God calls, he listens. When God speaks, he is quick to have relationship with him. Did he kind of buck on God's command? A little bit. But he goes nonetheless because God continues to give him the step-by-step process. Hey, I need you to go pray for someone. Hey, did you hear that they're murdering people? Yeah, I know that. But guess what? He's actually going to start saving the people he was trying to murder. And guess what? Because of his passion for me, he's going to have to suffer. That's a terrifying verse for an Ananias because an Ananias spirit cannot handle the weight of a Saul calling. And so why didn't God just send Ananias? Because Ananias wasn't the guy to do the job. Who has written a majority of our New Testament? Paul, who was Saul. But here's the deal. There's so many Ananiases who their heart, their cry, is to spend intimate time with the Lord and never be seen, never get any credit. And yet every once in a while, the devil will come and he will try to tempt us to say, but look what Saul is doing. Look at the stage, look at the albums, look at the music, look at the preaching, look at the the YouTube channel hits, look at all these different things. Don't you want that? And the Ananias heart gets angry and bitter over what Saul is doing, but that's because they're trying to take the anointing that was meant for one vessel and pour it into theirs. We can't do that. Don't put a stake in a cup. But then we look at the Sauls of the world, who are the pastors and the worship leaders and the CEOs and the, the leaders who are getting pounded over and over and over again. And they're saying, oh my gosh, you know how easy it would be to be Ananias in this season? Oh man, God, please give me a little house on the prairie where I can just go and sit in the field and we can talk and that's all I want. But the soul vessel, the soul calling would be crushed by the Ananias anointing. So, pastor, Worship leader, whoever you are, are you being beat by stones from people that you trusted? Guess what? The Saul calling, what Ananias greenlights Saul to go do, he immediately gets up and starts preaching in the tabernacle, gets run out of town. Barnabas has the wisdom to take him back home for a while before he starts preaching as Paul. But he is stoned by two or three churches. He's in prison multiple times. And he gets shipwrecked. Ananias will never be willing and able or even called to go through the beatings, the imprisonment, and the shipwreck, but Paul can. So Paul, don't look at the Ananias life and say, that's so much easier. Guess what? You weren't made for that. What you were made for is to listen to the voice of God for right now, today, and do what he's asked you to do. You want to go to Macedonia? Guess what? When God says no, there's people by the river that get saved. There's the jailer that gets saved. His whole family gets saved. They come back to a church And it all happened in a matter of days because you said yes to what God was saying. Ananias, you might have one thing that you do for the kingdom of God, and guess what? Everything Paul does from here on out is is counted to your record because guess what? You were willing to take one step towards a murderous thug and give him the life of Christ and give him the beauty of who Christ really is. So, Are you willing to have a private ministry if that's what God's called you to? Are you willing to have a public ministry if that's what God's called you to? 
it all comes back down to what is God speaking into my heart? If you are an Ananias, what has God said to me? Or what has he said to you? Are you willing to say, God, who am I? I'm an Ananias? Cool, I'll sit at your feet. And I will celebrate the Sauls and the Pauls who are up on stages. But if you're a Saul or a Paul wondering why you keep getting beaten down by the blows of ministry and the blows of the enemy, it's only because that's the type of vessel that you've been made to be in order to hold that level of calling. There was a video that we posted yesterday on our Facebook page of a pastor. He blindfolded this woman in his church, and then he had to speak in order to lead her through the whole church. She sat down on a bucket. She climbed a flight of stairs, and then other people are trying to call for her, but she wouldn't move until she heard the pastor's voice. That is a lot of how we need to live in this season. Are you willing to listen and give your attention to the voice of God? How do we do that? Real quick, I'm going to wrap this up. We have scripture, prayer, and one way to pray that none of us really ever do is silence. Are you willing to be silent before the Lord, to turn off the radio in your car while you're driving to work, turn off the radio in the morning? You can journal, you can... And then in the journaling, if you actually take some time to repent of maybe some of the things that you're living in, you don't have to do that to hear from God. But some of the people who feel like they're struggling to hear from God, just begin to say, hey, God, you know what? I've been believing some lies that you're not real. I believe, I've been believing lies that you're not good. I've been believing lies that you don't love me. And see what happens. There's also thanksgiving and thankfulness. God, I love you. Thank you for the way you've been protecting me. These are beautiful ways in order to get God's voice tuned into our, into our minds. So journal his voice, write it as if he's writing you a letter and capture what he's saying. When you pray and you pick up that phone like I mentioned earlier, take time to listen to what he's saying on the other line. Read scripture in the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and cultivate the power of silence in your life. Now, I want you to do three things as you're doing this. I want you to soak in what God is telling you. I want you to capture it, write it down, find a journal, do something with it, and then I want you to live it. And if you can do those three things, guess, guess what? That will teach what God is telling you. Too many times, God, what are you saying? You're saying this? Let me tell you what God is saying. But I haven't modeled it yet. I haven't lived it yet. If we can soak in it, we can capture it, and we can live it, I'm telling you, that your very lifestyle, the way you're modeling it, is going to speak volumes to people, just like Ananias' life did. And this is, this is a little bit of what we're try, trying to do in these days. Uh, we have a, we're working on forming discipleship in a new way here at Providence, and we have kind of three wins to kind of go with our logo. And the three wins of discipleship that we're looking at right now is the presence of God, the Word of God, and the family of God. And so our hope is that we will always go after the presence through worship, through prayer, through just intimate living with God. We also want to be reading and listening for the word of God in our lives. And we want to see these things manifest through the family of God, of us spending time with each other and living with each other. And so if we can capture these three wins, I have a feeling that our sails will constantly be filled and we will constantly be heading into new revelation and new sightings of what God is doing through the miraculous, through the supernatural, and just through the gentle, subtle touches that he has on our lives. 
I really do feel that us not just jumping into family, but jumping into the word and the presence all together is going to revolutionize the way that we go after God. And as I, as I wrap this thing up, I want, there's three things I want you to remember. God's voice, when he speaks to you, is the voice of a father. It's rarely degrading. And it, actually, it's never degrading. And yet, he will ask you tough questions. But it's always to lift you up, and it's always to posture you into a place of relationship where his heart can be seen. The word of God that you hear never contradicts the nature of Scripture and the nature of his heart that we find in Scripture. And the third thing is, he builds his voice and the truth of who he is in the dynamic of family. So share what you hear God is saying. And a really easy way to do it is not to say, this is what God has told me. It's to say, hey, I've been talking to God lately and I really feel like he might be saying this. Does this resonate with you? And be okay to disagree. But also, do we have hearts that are open to what God is speaking to an Ananias when I'm a Saul? Am I okay for that? And so take these things this week. Take these things this month, this year. Learn how to soak in the, in the words of God directly to your heart. Learn how to capture them and learn how to live them. Let me pray for us. Father, we're in a season where we need your voice to be the only voice we tune into. There's so much chatter online, so much chatter in our families and in our homes of what is and what isn't. And God, we need to take our ears off of those things and start putting them back on you. If you need to put some blindfolds around our eyes in this season so that we stop looking for answers and we stop looking for what we want, we know that you will give us vision even in the moments of blindness just like Saul experienced. And so, Father, we give you this season. If we need to be blindfolded, if we need to stop eating the wrong resources and stop drinking from the wrong wells in order to make sure that our system is clean and purged so that when you come in, we'll be strengthened, then call us into that season of either physical fasting, emotional fasting, or um, spiritual fasting. May we get back to you being our source. We ask that you would speak so loudly in this season, even if it's in a whisper, but that that would be the thing that marks us. And whatever it is that you're calling us to, we say yes to the step. We love you, Lord. We bless you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.